This morning's reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. Unity and diversity in the body. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but, men, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear would, should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And this is the word of the Lord. Before Christmas last year, we, um, we decided that we wanted to pick up on two themes that had come from the vision exercise. One was um, what we focus on when we come together to worship, and John spoke on that earlier in January. And the other thing was, in recognition that we are a multi-generational community, we represent all ages within our church family, we wanted to think about what it was um, to be a community that valued and honoured all its members, however young or however old. And Jane's going to speak to us about that this morning. So I'm just going to pray for Jane as she comes and prepares to share her reflections. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks and praise for your word that speaks deep into our lives and reveals you to us. And we pray, Lord, that as we've heard that word read to us this morning, that now through Jane's words, Lord, you would help us to unpack its meaning for our lives. 
Speak to us through Jane this morning, we pray, so that we may be likened into your image. Amen. Good morning. Embracing the generations. The things children say and do. I didn't break the saucer. I just made a jigsaw out of it. I am four. Soon I'll be five and I'll be worse then. God, as my tortoise has died... Will it be all right if I keep the shell and you send me a refill? Thank you, God. Mum's ill, so I'll have to be noisy quietly. Mummy has a prayer for me. She always says, thank God, when I go to bed. When the vicar christened my brother, he had to wash his face before he could tell who he was. This morning, I painted my toenails, and now I can't get my socks off. Oh, Dad, how much petrol does it take to get to heaven? All the conversation between one of our parents and their child. Why are you praying, Mummy? I'm not. Coat on, please. Uh, Yes, you are, Mummy. I'm not praying. Now, please, put your coat on. You are praying. I'm not. Well, why do you keep saying amen then? Amen. It was lovely. It was lovely. So Embracing the Generations is the title given for this morning's reflections. As child and family champion, it is inevitable that I want to talk to you about our wonderful, beautiful children. And I'm going to talk about them Uh, in the first part of uh, this talk, as we explore attitudes to children and childhood in society today and in the Bible. But to speak about embracing the generations is to talk about far more than just our children. I believe that to explore embracing the generations is to explore something about what church should or could be. So, we will go on to reflect on the passage that we've just heard read to us, in which Paul paints a picture of life in the body of Christ, where our background, status, age, occupation, and all other differences and diversity is secondary to our being joined together as the church, the body of Christ. And then finally, I'd like to share my thoughts on what embracing the generations might or might not look like for our church here in Camborne. So, let's have a think about what the Bible and society say about childhood. The things children say again. A four-year-old was overheard whispering to his newborn sister, what does God sound like? I'm beginning to forget. This reminds me of Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works 
are wonderful. I know that full well. I love the way the psalmist implies the relationship between the baby and our wonderful creator God. Children are innately spiritual. Few of us would deny this. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 tells us to go into all the world and make disciples. So how do we make disciples? Well, to grow into disciples, we need to be spiritually formed. And this involved two processes. The process of experiencing God and of knowing about him. God initiates this. He invites us into relationship with him. We experience God. And as this relationship is built, we come to know God and become more Christ-like. And becoming more Christ-like must be to become disciples. And when does this relationship start? I suggest there's good evidence from Psalm 139 that it starts when a person is knit together in the mother's womb. So how do we go about making disciples of children? I think this depends on how we view childhood. Society has suggested three views of children and childhood, and I think the Bible has something to say about each of them. One idea is that we treat children as passive objects to be moulded or formed into functioning human beings by adults. Now, maybe we don't like this language, but this idea that children are raw material and adults need to mould them into their predetermined designs has been around since the medieval times, and it is still common today. Some have said that children are like a piece of paper on which every passerby leaves a mark. It's the idea of children as a blank slate, first proposed by John Locke, who was a, a 17th century English philosopher. This could be summarised as doing things to children. Adults obviously have all the answers, and children must learn from them. It does strike me as a little arrogant. I wonder whether that this might be falling into the trap that the disciples fell into when they asked about greatness and Jesus put the little child in their midst as recorded in Matthew 18. Perhaps we have an inflated view of our own abilities and purpose. Or perhaps children can be seen as divine seeds that need to be nurtured in order to properly develop, mature and grow. Adults are the gardeners, of course, uh, and this is the greenhouse idea. Supporters of this model include people like Freud and other famous human development theorists. It's perhaps best summarised as doing things for children. But what child learns to tie their shoelaces if they are always tied by someone else? Might doing things for children be considered a form of putting a stumbling block in the way of one of these little ones and preventing them from developing their full potential? If we do everything relating to faith for them, how will they have a faith of their own? There's another model 
that I prefer, however. It's the idea first suggested by a psychologist called Robert Coles towards the end of the 20th century, of children as pilgrims. Children as active agents who walk with adults on the journey of life. Children as active makers of meaning, working stuff out. That's a quality of humanity that is at the heart of what it means to be a spiritual being. It's doing with children. Deuteronomy 6 illustrates this well. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Here, God's people are commanded to talk about God's laws to the children, but not just in a classroom context, but in everyday life. They are to live it. We need to live it. It is through living our faith and having shared experiences that faith can be inspired in others. It is not that we don't teach and nurture. Of course we do. It's just that when this happens, in the context of a shared experience, of walking together on the journey of life, of sharing in the community of faith, spiritual formation takes place and disciples are made. Of course, the idea of pilgrims together is not limited to the children. And clearly, the children are only part of our church. What about all of those of us over the age of 18? The imagery of, of pilgrims for adults is a familiar one. Perhaps the challenge is to view children as equal pilgrims on the road. So, what might embracing the generations mean for what church should or could be like? There are several examples that help us to understand the nature of church. There is the assembly or ecclesia in the Greek, the body of believers called out for the purposes of, of discussion, gathered together in Christ's name. There's the people of God, which is a term used to refer to a fellowship of those who live under the lordship of Christ, whatever their status. There's the image of family, the church being somewhere where the spiritual life of an individual is nurtured. And there is the image of the body of Christ that we have had read to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is the one I'd like to focus on this morning. The first thing Paul points out is that all parts of the body are members of the body. In fact, one of the commentaries I read suggests that all are disciples. Certainly, Paul's use in verses 12 to 13 of Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, would suggest everyone. The writer to the Romans in chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, reminds them that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes 
by Christ Jesus. The key word is all. <coughs> Galatians 3.28 says we are all one in Christ Jesus, rich and poor, young and old, male and female, of any race. All God's people are chosen, called and gifted to serve God and his church. I know that none of us would argue with the idea that the gospel is for all. But do we actually treat all parts of our church community as a fully gifted, able and saved part of the church of today? Not of tomorrow, of today. What would you say if I asked you to open your mind to the possibility of being ministered to by a child? I have experience of children officially given the mandate to be ministers in a congregation and the children listen to God for a period of time asking God to give them words and pictures for the adults in the congregation. I then shared these words and pictures with the congregation as a whole and then anybody that that touched came up to the front and I just had tears in my eyes and running down my face as Adults came and knelt at the front, and children, some as young as four, went and laid a hand on them and prayed for them. It was tremendously moving. In the following verses in the passage, verses 14 to 26, Paul uses uh, his use of the image of a human body to stress that diversity and unity are necessary for everything to work properly. He's at pains to point out that even the less presentable parts have an essential role. For any of us who have suffered with one part of our body not working properly, we do not need this to be explained to us. I happen to know that somebody recently had a, has got a slipped disc, I believe. It affects everything about everything. Yeah. To return to the idea of doing things to, for, and with children. The body performs each of its functions simultaneously, i.e. the foot with the eye, the hand with the heart, not independently of each other and not to each other. Perhaps for each other? Maybe the hand and the eyes might help to look after other parts of the body? I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't serve one another, but if we do things for each other that prevent us growing in faith, then we're doing ourselves a disservice. The truth is that unless the parts of the body function with the other parts of the body, they cannot function. The body and all its diverse parts only works when their diverse parts are united in purpose and doing things with each other. Now I know you're getting the picture. The children have a part to play as well. We need to enable children to find their gifts and express them if our experience and expression of church is to be authentic as God intended. I think it's worth noting that Paul follows this imagery of the body with his chapter on love in 1 Corinthians 13 in which he makes it abundantly clear that whatever we are like, whatever we do, however we behave, Seeking after love is supreme. 
there must be a challenge there for us as we learn how to lay down that which we hold dear in being together as a church for the sake of the common good. I wonder what part of the body you are in your imagination. I wonder what part of the body might people of a different generation be in your mind or of a different race sexuality perhaps anyone who's different from me how do we love those who are different it's important not to have a false sense of modesty here either just as much as we need to not want to be the part of the body that gets the glory the point is that we need each other whatever our perceptions of a role the whole system comes tumbling down without each role being carried out in the appropriate way so what does it mean to embrace the generations easy place to start look up in the dictionary but generations is easy we understand that means everybody who comes together people of all ages embrace is also fairly easy I think it's a word we understand the di dictionary definition to hug take or clasp in the arms to accept willingly to encircle surround or enclose to include or contain obviously we to are to include all of us whatever age I like to accept willingly and encircle there must be unity within diversity as in the analogy of the body of Christ my focus on children at the beginning of these reflections was to help us realize that it is easy to sideline them but I wonder what you have heard I wonder if you think that I think that the children's needs should come above all others I don't by the way I'm sure that some of our elderly members also sometimes feel sidelined and there will be other groups that feel that way it isn't right none of us can exist independently of each other we are interdependent and we all need all of us just as John Martin didn't really focus on worship styles in his excellent reflections on worship back in January but instead focused on the fact that we are created to worship our wonderful creator God whatever the circumstances worshiping in spirit and in truth it's not about us it's about him in the same way I am not teasing out fine detail as to how we truly embrace the generations although we would do well to remember that our interactions across ages can also be part of our worship of him as we give up or hold lightly or lay down our ideas of what we like and want in worship I don't have all the answers I just know we need each other but I can probably give some indication of what it might and might not be we say children are welcome here and I believe that we really do welcome the children here at Camborne Church not least in the investment in our children through employing Jonathan and myself thank you by the way it's a privilege to serve in this way and we do really value our children here and I think that they know that 
However, we do send the children out to Young Church and Extreme, which, by the way, they want, we want, and for which there is no biblical model. There is no instance in the Bible of separating out the age groups for worship. We have had comment that six weeks of all-age services over the holidays is difficult for people, which it is, and not just for the adults, for the children and for their parents and for those of us who plan and lead the worship. Many of us, me included, find it hard to accommodate noisy, boisterous children when we want some reflective time to focus on God. But all generations together is biblical. That is the model of worship in the Bible. And I wonder whether we're willing to hold that tension of discomfort. If we try to have no age-appropriate groups, I think that everyone would be unhappy. I wonder what it would look like. Let's just imagine for a minute... Every service, all age. Grown, I hear, maybe. I don't think that's what's needed. Although maybe I think it is what's needed if we lived in an ideal world. But it's not where we as a society are. So to reassure you, embracing the generations is not about everything being for the children. And neither is it about everything always being all age. It is about developing meaningful participation. And that can be messy. It is about experimenting with ways of allowing children to be active participants, and indeed, actually, every one of us to be active participants in what we do together in our life of faith. It's not about tokenism, where we just sing a song for the kids to keep them happy or ask them to hold up a sheet of paper when it could just as easily be pushed on the PowerPoint slide. It is about all generations being together without dumbing down everything for the children. Children can cope with the tension of not understanding everything. They get that they're little and they don't understand everything yet. It is about showing children real faith modelling it, being excited by it. It's not about always having very loud worship full of action songs. Who likes action songs? Two people, three people, four people, five people, six people, seven people, eight, oh, not more, oh, quite a few. I do too, by the way. But I do get that lots of people really don't like that. Too much noise can be very tiring for some members of our congregation and even painful to some of them. I think it's interesting that children, they do enjoy action songs, they do enjoy leaping about and lively worship. I did some research as part of my degree into whether or not all-age worship engaged spirituality and one of the findings from that was that children just said how much they love what we would call the adult worship and a more reflective style they valued it they felt it was more holy 
So, children love quiet, reflective worship just as much as we do. There may be something about helping them access that and training them in, in that. It's not about quashing enthusiasm. I'm reminded of our Easter service last year when the atmosphere in here was electric. It was amazing. We were so excited about it being Easter Day. And the children picked up on that. And some of our very beautiful boys, who I'm very, very fond of, were bouncing off the walls. The table had been turned into the empty tomb. And they were jumping about and looking at things and touching things they shouldn't. And they were generally being what everybody was going... And we were. And I was. And their parents were. And their parents quietened them and got them to be still. But as I reflected on it, I realised, what do boys who are eight do when they're excited? (gasps) That's normal for them. And so, can we hold that tension? Can we allow that in some way without disapproving? It is about sharing with children, asking for their help. I don't know if ever you have, any of you have ever asked a child to pray for you, but it is amazing. I said in my earlier um, reflections that actually I think it should be on everybody's bucket list. If you haven't asked a child to pray for you, do do that. Because it's, it's, I think it's something about their faith and how literally they take God and they just expect him to do it. It is about finding ways for the generations to interact together. Now, to be able to interact together, there has to be a collision in the first place. The generations have to be in the same room. It is about forgiving one another's differences, even when it grates. It is about exploring awe and wonder, something children are very good at, and taking the time to feel it for ourselves. It might be that we set up a system of prayer groups that involve all the generations. We could have a whiteboard over there on which everybody could write down their prayer requests and then Young Church could pray for them each week. It might be that we incorporate children onto some of our rotors, including them in real service and beginning to bring them into leadership. It should be that we resource our parents in their parenting, especially in the area of discipling their children. It could be that we organise discussion forums to tease out approaches to issues. It must be that we welcome all, including the little ones and the sweet ones and the noisy, disruptive ones, and actively explore ways for them to exercise their gifts in ministry. Equally, it must be that we honour our elders, hear their stories and draw on their wisdom. I hope that my exploration of embracing the generations has given you something to think about. I hope it's the continuation of an exciting adventure into what church could be. I'd like to leave you with three challenges. I'd like to challenge you, all of us, to reflect on our own attitudes to the generations being together. And not just on a Sunday morning. I would like to challenge us to consider whether we would be willing to be ministered to by a child. And I would like us to think about what part we play in the body and how we live out our faith every day, not just on a Sunday, so that those around us, including the children, are inspired to faith.
As 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 says, we are the body of Christ, and each one of us is a part of it. Amen.